Welcome back to the NetCentrics podcast. My name is Scott. I'm the host. And today we're joined, very lucky to be joined by a special guest, Mark LaRoost. Mark, before I butcher some sort of self-introduction, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself so we can get started here? <laughs> Thanks, Scott, for having me. Um, well done for pronouncing my name. I'm very impressed. Uh, yeah, my name is Mark LaRoost and, and I'm half French, half English and nobody's perfect, but that's why I have an unpronounceable name. And uh, I'm the founder of The Unconventionalist and the Chief Purpose Officer at the Ministry of Purpose. And uh, effectively, what I love to do is to help founders tell their stories so the world listens and create companies that people are excited about. Very good. Very succinct. It's like you've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it a few times. Yeah, yeah that's a very good uh, elevator pitch, a self-bio self elevator pitch. Um, before we, you know, we kind of dive in and unpack some of the things that you've done, the experiences you've mm -hmm. had around the world, uh, I, you just came off the NetCentric Summit, global but all digital summit. Mm. And I had the chance to watch some of that. That was, that was some really, really great, great talks in there. And, and you kind of kicked off the entire week. Um, but what was it like being a part of that experience? Yeah, that was amazing, actually. It's, it's really funny because I was trying to figure out how did that end up happening? And, um, and you know, weird story is that I, I ended up talking at this event in London a while back and someone in the audience had now joined NetCentric, knew a summit was coming up, had got in touch with me. And then I heard from Laura Originally, I think they had a summit in March. I could be wrong. I think it was something around March. And um, the topic was a different topic than I normally talk about. And I was very honest with Laura. I said, look, I just don't think I'm the right person for this topic, but I do know someone who is, so I recommended someone else. And I said, but like the communication's always open. I'd love to be part of it. Like, you know, it sounds like a really cool company. And um, and then she got back in touch and she said, hey, turns out, because I said, you know, I talk a lot about purpose and storytelling and and said, hey, we're doing a summit. Guess what the title is? Is It's purpose. And I was like, oh, awesome. So let's make it happen. And, and you know, and it was amazing because I knew nothing about NetCentric, right? I mean, just hands up. I'm not in that world. I'm not in Adobe space. Mm -hmm. So I knew nothing about it. I, I just knew from what Laura said. And and part of my process when I give talks is I, one of the requirements, because I don't, I don't want to be a tick boxing exercise, is I ask the organizations who are interested in bringing me in. I say, look, love to, but here's the deal. If I'm going to come in, I want to talk to a few people across the organization to get a bit of a temperature check of what's going on. What's the culture like? What are some of the things that you're doing really well? What are the things that you might be wanting to do better, right? So that I can then tailor my content accordingly. Because when I was an employee for like 10 years, we used to have these people come in and say things like the seven steps to success or like how to be productive, like, you know, and I thought it was interesting content, but I always thought like, you have no idea who we are, what we do, and you're so relevant. And I swore myself that when I would go off and create my own company, that I wouldn't make the same mistake. And so I started having this conversation. And look, I'm not saying this because I'm on the NetCentric podcast. It sounds like <laughs> uh, it's obvious that I would say that, you know, but I, I don't because I, I took a stand pretty earlier on that I would speak the truth. Um, and uh, for, the, for the sake of, of people I work with, right, and, and the people we represent. And really quickly, it was fascinating, actually, to speak to people across NetCentric because Sure, like every organization, there are things we could be doing better or whatever, but there was this deep appreciation of the people. Like really, mm -hmm. it, you know, like like I haven't seen in a, in a long time, but like part of these disruptive forward-thinking companies who, yeah, they've been going through big changes and, you know, partnership and all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, when I kept on asking the question, why are you still here? Like I know, you know, there's a reason why you joined, but why are you still here today? The number one answer that kept on coming back are people, right? Like people here care. Mm -hmm. They're smart. 
they're hardworking, they, they, they like to have a good time, they're social, but really they're inclusive and caring. And of course, the whole holocracy and all that stuff came through. But so getting to be behind the scenes in the trench, that was really cool. And then from a technology perspective, like Laura and the team were amazing because we had so many rehearsals before the actual day and we had to iron out the platform. Apologies, anyone listening to this who's involved in, in the platform. There are a few glitches, you know, there and then uh, as, as it is with technology. But, you know, we did, I don't know, ask Laura, but I think we must have got about three or four calls different ones testing out the slides we couldn't figure out something then we got with Gerhard and I spoke with Gerhard about like what was you know he wanted to talk about we kind of aligned our talks and getting to hear a bit more about his story and why you know they co-founded Netcentric in the first place and um and it was amazing and so when it came down to the day um because <laughs> it was a completely different experience for me to be on that particular platform that we were using right because normally I give talks on on you know zoom or what have you and all you know google hangouts but mostly zoom so it was a new platform for me and uh and i remember the on the bottom left i could see the numbers of people logging in and it's going like 300 345 400 i'm launching myself in this talk there's like almost 500 people right connecting live around the world and i asked the question where are you tuning in from and man that was so cool like just seeing people from all over the world pinging you know and getting enthusiastic and engaged in the chat box and yeah that was really cool so a really long-winded answer to say it was an honor pleasure and uh and yeah tried something new yeah absolutely and uh and you could tell in the talk it, it, you could tell that you had the experience of doing this digitally so so let's say technical mishaps and 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 learnings yeah. aside because we're all getting used to this new world mm. uh this kind of digital first world and virtual first world mm -hmm. all that aside tactically mm. what has changed for you uh since you are such a prominent public figure and public speaker what's changed for you moving to digital and not giving these talks in person yeah so you know just just to be real here and give you the backstory 2020 kicked off a really great year i had an amazing pipeline of talks scheduled across europe you know i was going to fly over to america like things were looking pretty good and um and covid happened right and suddenly live events were cancelled and not only were my events canceled, but because it was an act of God, some of the events were asking for their money back that, because it was an act of God. And so suddenly my cash flow was starting to look pretty bad. So I had six days, I think, of of kind of going, oh, no, what's going to happen here? Like everything I do is now changing. But quickly what happened is I went from a place of fear to a place of service. And I know it sounds really easy now. And it wasn't that that back then. Mm -hmm. I had, we had a newborn at home. We, had, we never got two kids. I had, we had a toddler and a newborn and, um, and I didn't have that much time actually to figure things out. But what I did know is that I can help people because I've been running my own business for a few years. So I've been working remotely. I had, you know, I had a team of freelancers across the world. So I, I was used to this kind of format, I guess, but in the behind the scenes mm -hmm. way. And so I reached out to all my contacts and I said, look, I know things are tough. Um, if you're looking for some help on, on, on how to navigate this new world, I'd love to come in. And so really quickly, I pivoted to giving a talk called how to stay connected, optimistic, and productive during a global pandemic. And so I got booked to basically give that talk to some, you know, uh, Sandra Institute and the Movember Foundation and uh, Vivo Live, like a bunch of companies were bringing me in to give that talk. And again, it, I had to adapt, right? Because in real life, 
I'm someone who really feeds off a live audience because mm -hmm. I can read a room and I can feed off the room and I can, you know, if there's someone who's got a bit of a grumpy face, you know, I might make, say something to try and get their attention. You can't win everyone, right? But I really feed off that. And online, it's it's a challenge in times, That's right? Because yeah. It's, yeah, it, it, feels, it feels much harder. And so what I realized is that, oh, we have to change the way that we get the audience to interact, right? I had to challenge my perception of, what being engaged means because you can you can do a talk for an hour and like you'll just people who are listening to this can't see my face but just imagine a really stern face right and i'm like oh my god this is bombing no one's enjoyed this is terrible and then at the end of the chat it's like amazing amazing thank you so much this is so brilliant i was like how about you communicate your face what you're feeling because that would be helpful as a speaker but that was my own stuff right it wasn't people's fault and and actually i i've come to understand through a few research that there's a thing called Zoom fatigue and requiring mm -hmm. people to have the video on is actually can be counterproductive to, mm -hmm. to engagement. And, uh, but that's another conversation. So what I did very quickly on is how can I make this as interactive as possible? And because I was using Zoom as a platform, I, I tried to get the chat box, if you want, or the chat room, whatever you want to call it, the place where people could feel engaged. I said, hey, let me know where you're tuning in from. And then I'd say, oh, Mexico, or wow, Kelly, wow, Ash, you know, you're from there. Amazing, amazing. So that's how I do it. And then I would, you know, I would I would share content and then I would try and bring it back to the audience. Does that make sense? Can anybody relate to this? Put your thumbs up if you get that. So you have to be more intentional mm -hmm. in how you uh, pepper in interaction with an online version than you would in real life. If I did that in real life, it'd be a bit weird, right? Like if every five minutes would be like, raise your hand. If you, some people do it, like the Tony Robbins like, say I, I, and yeah. like screaming, all this stuff, yeah. some people do it. But that fundamentally is what changed. And I had to let go of, of what I had been used to in order to serve what was needed now and moving forward, right? So now actually I'm getting asked slowly but surely to get back into doing real life stuff. Uh, but still the bulk of what I do is online. Yeah, and, and I was I was going to kind of lead into that that second part of the question too. The first one is, well, before even that, I think that approach is, is the right one, right? I mean, we're all faced with this same issue. This is a, this is a like you said, an act of God. Man, man plans, mm. God laughs. And mm. so it's affecting everybody. There's no, there's no sense dwelling on it. There's no sense, sense complaining about it. There's no sense focusing yeah. on it. It's pivoting that approach and saying, hey, how can I help others? How can I bring yeah. some value to the table in this new world? And we can figure this out together. And the second part is, I was going to ask that too, is now that the world hopefully, knock on wood mm. here, seems to be coming back, are you just chopping at the bit to get back in front of a live audience? Or, or you know, do you think that this will be a yeah. kind of a hybrid approach? So what I would say to that is, I don't think the world is coming back. I think it's evolved to a new world. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think what I really quickly realize is we're never going to go back to normal. Like, you know, what, quote, quote, air quote, normal, whatever mm -hmm. that means to anyone, right? I think it's just going to be a new world where actually hybrid models are going to be much more prolific. So mm -hmm. I think organizers and, and event planners have understood that, well, we could mix real life with online actually much more organically than we thought we could, right? We've been forced into trying out different platforms, technology, softwares. So I think we're just evolving, I guess. It's just, you know, whether you are attached to the past and nostalgia, different thing. But I think we're just, you know, it's a new normal. Let's put it that way. We're going back, we're going to a new normal. Um, and so what I most look forward to is I still think that yes, you can create culture remotely. Yes, you can create a competitive place to work and feel this. But every once in a while, because of our human fabric, we need social mm -hmm. contact. So we are the most social species on planet. So we need some shape, way of form to be in 
close proximity. Whether we will ever have, you know, all team members, like the 500, 700 plus net centric employees all coming together in one center is probably unlikely. But having these micro groups coming together mm -hmm. is probably a one way forward. Okay, so let's actually, let's go back. Uh, let's go back, I don't know, 10 years or so. Mm. You know, one of the things that stuck out to me on, on your background and your experience was Movember, Movember. <laughs> How did you get involved with this this Aussie down under yeah. uh, project? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the short version is, um, for those who want the long version, um, I wrote the whole thing in, in my book, not to plug my book. I can give a free copy to anybody listening. Hook me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'm going to regret that, aren't I? Like messages. <laughs> Just go to marklewis.com forward slash book and you can get it for free. There you go. That's the easiest way to do it. <laughs> and uh, but the, the short version is typical kind of millennial journey of um, being told my entire life that, you know, you need to strive to get a good degree, to get a good job so you can retire at 60 with a gold watch and go and travel and enjoy life. And I thought... That sounds weird. Like, why would I want to wait till like arthritis kicks in to like enjoy right. life? And so, um, kind of quit quit the job I was at the time. I didn't really know, but it was because the values weren't being shared and all that stuff. Went a bit through what we can only be described as like a desert, and what every self proclaimed millennial would call a um, quarter life crisis. Mm -hmm. So you know, went through a bit of a tough time. And I came across my cousin's husband was doing this thing called Movember, which I was like, what the hell is this? And um, effectively, Mo is the slang in Australian for moustache. And November is the month where men grow moustaches and, and, and the women in their lives support the, the, the facial growth by donating money to the Movember Foundation to raise uh, funds and awareness for men's health, right? And I thought, this is really cool. And it was done in a really kind of fun way, right? There were no pictures of like prostate cancer patients in bed with like a drip next to them and saying, you know, we need your money. It was more like some dudes hanging out with axes and big mustaches and like amazing fonts and branding. And that spoke to me as a young man, right? And um, and so I, I started fundraising and just basically harassing all my friends and asking for donations. And by year two, my- So you my grew really a mustache, friend, that's how it started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> let's just say that back then, my uh, facial growth was not as developed that it is today. My, my facial blanket wasn't as uh, <laughs> stitched up together, right? And so- um, my, one of my really close friends, my childhood friend, David Arnu, who's like the co-founder of Growth Drive, um, used to say, November's the month I catch cold and block mark from Facebook <laughs> because I used to spam everyone. And so by year two, and I was kind of going through this crisis. I was working for a business school at the time and they say, dude, just shut up already and just go and work for someone like November. I was like, I don't think November's an actual thing. I thought it was like Halloween, right? Right. So most people don't know that Movember is a real foundation. Mm -hmm. Like by the time I retired, by the way, they had raised like 650 million yeah. euros. It's not a small crazy. organization. It's in the hundreds. No, 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 it's <laughs> nuts. It was, like, it was like the world's number one men's health charity. Up until I tweeted the co-founder and CEO at the time, Adam Garoni, saying, hey, from one Mo bro to the next, it's been an honor to grow Mo. You know, here's my video CV, whatever. And he said, where are you based? Are you in London? And I said, I, and I replied cheekily, I'm not, but I could be, say, for a good opportunity, like working for November, wink, wink, wink. And you said, well, we've got an opening coming up. Can you be in the office like on the Friday? I remember this it was Valentine's Day of 2012 because my ex was flying in from Scotland to see me and she said, you've got to go. You know, I've got to give credit to her. She was amazing about it. So I got, a, I got on the first Eurostar, went to London, got a meeting with the co-founder, JC. And after basically about half an hour of telling them how I entered an MMA tournament for charity with zero experience and broke my knee. <laughs> oh, he said, he was like, right, welcome to the team, mate. You got the job. Yeah, you, sound like so, you fit right in. <laughs> yeah, you fit right in. So I was tasked with launching November across uh, France, Switzerland, and growing the campaign in Belgium and, and Spain. And man, 
the rest is history. I, I helped raise 2.8 million euros for men's health, got 110,000 people to sign up and won a bunch of awards along the way. And dude, it was an honor to be a professional mustache farmer for four years. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great story. Uh, that's an incredible one. And I think, I think the book diving into that, um, that ride and that journey would be a, a good read. Markbridge.com forward slash book. Nice plug. Um, okay, so, so that was four, five year journey. How, how long was that, was that project? That was, yeah, that was 2012 to 2016. Okay. Yeah, four years. So then literally, literally almost of the day. Okay, so that all of a sudden starts playing some seeds somewhere in the back of your mind. This is turning yeah. into something. What's formulating here? Uh, how does this start to begin the foundations of some of the projects you're working on now? How did you evolve into that? Yeah, so I think it's a combination of things. One of them is that I always had a need for like creative expression. So people now call it side hustle. I used to call it like quiet the brain, quiet the mind. So I was doing all these different things. And one thing that became pretty clear along the way, which I thought was crazy, was that anytime I'd go and speak to companies about November, people were so excited to see me, right? It's not because me, like as in Mark LaRouze, but because of who I represented being this kind of weird dude in shorts and a mustache and kind of going, hey, you can like grow mo and save a bro, you know? And they were really excited. Like a lot of people were really excited about November, like that time of the year. And I thought, wait a minute, if the month you look forward to the most of the year is the, is the moment that you look like Freddie Mercury or like an 18s porn star, like surely something's wrong here. Like <laughs> that can't be right. And so I got curious and started realizing that most people thought their job sucked or just didn't, didn't particularly enjoy what they were doing. And I thought that's wrong. Like we spent right. 90,000 hours of our life at work. How could we not enjoy it? And so because I had the lens of men, mental health and men's health, people would open up a lot to me about how it was going at home or at work. And, and I started realizing, I was like, oh man, like it wasn't just me and the different experience that I had because like you know when you go through an experience you can feel like it's just a singular experience you don't necessarily have the perspective that it's a universal one but I kept on hearing how many people were struggling so I kept on thinking like wow like how cool would it be well there's two things actually how cool would it be if if, if I could go around and try and better understand what makes a culture great and what makes people feel seen heard and supported at work but equally and this is the birth of the unconventionalist why weren't more people sharing their story the way that I was using Story at November to grow this foundation? Like I couldn't believe how people kept talking about how do you get people so excited? How did you get all this stuff with such a small budget? And I was like, well, it's easy. You engage and enroll people effortlessly by sharing your story. And so that was the birth of The Unconventionalist. So I started The Unconventionalist and that was very much about helping founders, entrepreneurs, business owners to share the story so the world listens mm -hmm. effectively. And meanwhile, I was getting invited by a few corporate like Fortune 500s or you know, fast scale-ups and, and that kind of stuff to go and speak to their people about how to find meaning and purpose at work. And I remember the very first time I got booked, it was for a financial software company, a pretty big one. And uh, they called me and they said, hey, we'd like you to come in. And I said, you do know I wrote a book about how to quit your job and do what you love, right? <laughs> They're like, right. But we don't, just- Don't say that, that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're like, maybe think about the quit your job, Bob. But, but we think that you'd be- a different energy to bring in, you know, to the to the room. And I was like 35 at the time or something like that. I forgot how old I was. So I was like, sure. And this is a weird one because I remember going in there with like this deck I prepared, like a bit like a seven step to success, but it was like seven steps to finding meaning and work. And I start like telling all my big ideas and thoughts and all this stuff. And in my internal experience, like, yeah, this is killing it. Yeah, this is amazing. Like, woo, the truth bombs and knowledge I'm dropping is unreal. And by the end of it, I kind of ask my contacts, hey, how did that go? Like, was that... Was that as, like almost like, was that as good as it was for me, right? <laughs> and she goes, yeah, yeah, you know, it was like, yeah, it was interesting. But I was like, well, what, what, but what? She's like, but I, you know, I wish you'd shared a bit more about your story. 
She said, I think that's what they would have needed to hear. And it blew my mind. It blew my mind that basically sharing my story somehow would be relevant to anyone else but my mum. And even that, you know, I'm not sure that's even that relevant. And so from that on, I started opening up a bit more about, okay, here's, you know, some of the struggles and challenges I had. And what's interesting is what I help founders and companies effectively when you kind of craft and shape your story is to try and make sense of why you do what you do and, and where you're going. And because I was bullied by my school teachers, not peers, school teachers when I was a kid in the school I went, I grew up in, I had quite a lot of trauma and shame around my inability to spell or read effectively out loud. And I was made for a long time feel like I was stupid and I wasn't good enough. And so I was held back a year and eventually I was kicked out of the conventional educational system. And in France, that holds such a stigma. But I also had, I think, a brain and a, a heart and a soul and a spirit. And I just wanted to prove everybody wrong. So I got the grades I needed to go. I went to university. I smashed it. Got a really good degree, all this kind of stuff. But I always had that chip on my shoulder. And I never thought that anyone should know about that. So I started sharing a little bit more about my story. What I found wasn't criticism or judgment as much as I'd feared. But rather, I had connection, which was so weird, dude. Like, honestly, I was like... The more I opened up and shared about some of the stuff that I felt was unthinkable to share out loud, the more people started to resonate with me, the more I started to get bring in, the more people actually connected to me so that I could then land the message I was trying to say. I could then share the knowledge or the whatever it was. But first, I needed to connect. And I don't think anything connects us quite as so fast as a story and the authentic part of your stories, right? So I totally forgot what the first question was, but there you go. That's, I, I did too. I blacked out. Yeah, I, I did too. But, but it brought up a lot of other things. And, and I think I, I totally agree with you. And I think when you when you are authentic and you are putting yourself out there, you realize actually just how common uh, these these self-doubts that you're having yes. are to everybody, you know, yes. and, and how much we all feel like that in, that imposter syndrome, right? And 100%. and we all, we've all been through challenges. We've all had to overcome obstacles. And, and the second that you open up and share it, one, it's it's not taboo, you know. You yeah. realize that you can talk about these things, and yeah. that you all of a sudden you've un, you've tapped into this this global consciousness of, of other people having those same issues, and and yes. uh, and, and that takes yeah. time. I want I, yeah. I want to I want to say this to people listening to this. I want to say so it takes time. Yes, it's scary. There's still some stuff that I'm processing. I think you know, interestingly enough, um, I'm, I'm working right now on writing a book so i don't know when this is going out but the book is scheduled for autumn 2022 it's my first book with a proper publisher and you know it's taken me years it's taken me trial and error and that's what i'm teaching in the book mm -hmm. i really want to get this book out because i feel like it, it it doesn't matter how you feel about your story right now my goal is to help you somehow find the secret source of your story and share it with the world because you can not only grow your business and bottom line and attract great opportunities and team members and, and all that stuff, which is great. But what I'm not saying out loud is that the Trojan horse in my book is, is healing and connection. Because by sharing your story, someone out there is going to hear it and not feel alone. And I think that's one of the best gifts you can give, yeah. right? The, 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 the gift of, of seeing someone and, and making someone feel seen and heard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. The question that that I had on my list at some point to ask you is like your focus is on on purpose. That's that's um, where this all starts. That's the foundation of it. Uh, and what are the things that you can do when the focus starts? When the purpose starts losing focus? When it's when it gets fuzzy? Yeah. When you can't quite see it anymore? How do you push through? So you know? the way that I would say to people who are uh, thinking about 
you know, who are struggling with reconnecting actually with the very thing that was recording them. It's like a relationship, really. It's, you know, you, you go back to like, why were you first attracted to your partner? What was it that brought you together? And of course, things change and what got you here won't get you there. But sometimes when you reconnect to the very thing that started that that purpose or that quest or whatever it is, it can help you to reconnect to it. And And shy of that, what I say is, you know, have almost like a daily reminder whether that's a mantra or, or a notebook or, or a piece of paper or something that you can reconnect to on a daily basis to remind you of um why why what you do matters because it is so normal to lose track of why it even matters i mean it's you know in the in the classical kind of story structure line of the hero's journey if you want it's like we're going to go for peaks and troughs and we're going to go through ups and downs and when you're down in the valley of transformation it can feel like it's the end of an all be all but actually you just reconnect to why in the first place you did what you were doing just like in a relationship and then figure out what could help you to sustain that on a on, on a longer period of time by creating a, an anchor a hook or a reminder and it's it's you know especially if you're listening to this and, and and you're trying to create something or you're trying to show up every day, sometimes it can be really easy to judge ourselves. And I know it gets a little bit deep in this part of this conversation, but the reality is I have yet to meet someone who doesn't wrestle with some form of self-doubt that is linked towards I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, or I'm too much. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's great advice. And I think it's something that we all face uh, from time to time, uh, some points of our lives more than others. Um, but it's something that, that especially from an entrepreneurial point of view, from, as an entrepreneur, it, it's something that you have to get through. You have to push through. Yeah. You know, building on that, that last question, what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out on a new project, whether it be a new company, a new idea, a new brand, but, but anyone who's starting something new to put purpose right at the heart of it from day one? So I think it, it goes back to what one of my mentors, Duke Stum, talks about, which is, you know, try and figure out what is it about this project or this product or this service or even this business that is going to make it something that people need and that is going to be relevant to those you're trying to serve? I think it's like, how, how do we make sure that we're relevant to the people we're trying to reach is, is a really important question to ask ourselves because you've got to figure out beyond the functionality of the product or the service of the project. Um, how is this going to make a difference in one way or another? And if you can really answer that question and you can infuse that enthusiasm in the team or your stakeholders as you go through it. So even like launching this podcast, right? That's essentially, which is really cool because it's been an idea I've been having for years. I first launched a podcast in 2015. And I remember keep on telling companies like, why don't you launch a podcast to like interview your internal employees and team members and, and and all that stuff just to share the story behind it people are like yeah, yeah yeah whatever so the fact that you did this i think is incredible um and again it's kind of going back to sometimes you know you might interview someone and it doesn't work out like we had some technical issues with solving them because you go back to like this matters right like if we can touch the hearts of some of our people by sharing some of the st stories of other people who work in this organization then we're doing something that's meaningful and important. So just go back to why it matters. Yeah, that's that's uh, great advice. And I think it's very relevant right now when a lot of people have a lot of time to contemplate, meditate, 
kind of reevaluate their lives and, and what it is they want to work on, what they want to put their time towards, whether it's a side hustle or it's the, the main gig or it's, it's just, a, just a passion project that you have going on uh, in your life. I think that's always really important. Now, I know we're running out of time here, Mark, um, and I know, I know you, you have a, a couple of things to jump into, but I want to wrap it up with one final question. Going backwards and bringing, bringing this conversation back to tech, what was your earliest memory of technology? I love that question so much because I haven't thought about this probably since it's happened. So I appreciate the question. My earliest memory of technology is my dad's Atari and me and my brother fighting over playing a game on the Atari. And it was just so amazing. You would put this thing inside this computer and you would start like having a 2D experience of Robocop or whatever the hell it was. And it was crazy. Like I've got these pivotal moments throughout my life where technology had a significant impact in my life. That was one of them. I think the other one was when my best friend, Dennis Duvoshel and I were connecting to the internet for the first time and discovering this thing called chat rooms and Yahoo mailbox. And, and it was so mad that we could talk to someone who was across the world in instant time and not having to write like letters where you have to wait for a week. So, you know, I'm a, I'm what I call a, an analog millennial, which is I'm born in the early 1980s. So I remember a world without technology. Oh, well, technology. I remember a world without internet, I guess. So yeah, thanks for that question because I haven't revisited that old Atari that I can still see it right now in, in my dad's kind of little office slash my room thing. Yeah, that's a really, really good one. Uh, you and I are of the same generation, the the ones that we did not grow up digital, but we uh, we definitely evolved with it. And thank God there wasn't social media when I was at university. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so uh, you know what? You laugh, but I say this all the time and I mean it. Like <laughs> there was not social media when I grew up because I mean, I feel for the younger generation today where er their every move, their every mistake, their every, you know, everything is now captured forevermore and i'm so grateful that i was one of the last generations who went through a process where intimacy and privacy on some spectrum or level was still something that we were able to um be part of you know to the point where i just want to end up on this on this point because i know it's boring but i remember when facebook started i was at uni and the way that facebook used to be built right it was very much like only the people you know and then they started opening up your wall and everybody went into like this crazy mayhem of like what are you doing and so when i do workshops i actually say to people like don't add me on Facebook because I'm not going to add you because I've got pictures of my kids. And everybody's like, what? But Facebook's public. Like, you know, it's a bit like if you said, I'm not going to add you on LinkedIn because I've got pictures of my kids. <laughs> Everyone here would be like, this is crazy. Why would you not add me on LinkedIn? LinkedIn's a professional. That's how people feel about Facebook. But I remember the days when Facebook was just like a place where you shared pictures of your kids and a few family, mem family members were online. And, and I remember a friend sending a photo of me when I was 14 that she had taken a photo of the printed photo. And I said, get that down. I don't <laughs> want anyone to see what i was doing when i was 14 um it might have involved dreadlocks that's all i'll say about nice that. nice well maybe we got to dig up that photo somewhere <laughs> um mark i do have to ask you one final question uh it's what we ask all all of our guests here in the net centric podcast it is uh looking forward we just went backwards now looking forward the next 5 10 15 20 years out which innovation or technology are you most excited about and why Okay, can I, can I, uh, to answer that question, can I dream of something or is it something that I can see already happening? Because I can think of a few things, right? I can think of um, a technology I'm looking forward to is like integrated GPS chips on kids' shoes so that I know where my kids are at all time and I don't have to stress about it when they run around the park. That's an invention that would be cool, but maybe highly unethical and, and risky and dangerous and stuff. But um, 
You know, I'm I'm curious about electric and auto driven cars. I, I really am because it's scary. And it, of course, like any moment in life through industrial revolution, information revolution, you know, things change and we're afraid and there's going to be a lot of jobs on the line with AI and automation for sure. But I wonder what else that would free up for us in terms of not having to worry about accidents, safe distance. And of course, there are ethical issues around this. I'm conscious of that. But um. I think that that's an interesting one. But if I'm being really honest here, Scott, the one I'm really looking forward to is teleportation. I don't understand how we can send emails instantly with 20 gigs worth of data attached. And we still haven't figured out how to transport ourselves through some form of dark hole of some sort and, and, and land instantly across the world. That's something that I'm most looking forward to because um, how awesome would that be? that I could just click a finger and be with my family and across the channel or come and hang out with you and, and chase bears in your native uh, county of US of A. <laughs> yeah, I'll put that out there. If anybody is into this, if you can figure out teleportation, that'd be great. Yeah, the, thank you for the, the three-part answer. All of them very interesting. All of them definitely boarding on that, that Black Mirror episode somewhere. Uh, but uh, the <laughs> teleportation one, I think we're on the same page for sure. That would be amazing, especially as myself uh, living the expat life in Barcelona. I would love to just snap my fingers and be back uh, back home with my family uh, back in the U.S. But uh, Mark, hey, it's been nothing but a pleasure uh, speaking to you today. Thanks so much for your time today joining us on the NetCentric Podcast. You're so welcome, Scott. And I'm going to end up with this, which is what you just said made, made me remind me. Actually, what the technology is so cool is holograms. You know, the ability to be instantly across anywhere in the world by being in one place. I think that's crazy. Like, the fact that people can do concerts around the world by being in one single place and everybody can experience that concert. Of course, it's not the same as being real, but you can be around other people. That's another cool technology that I'm excited about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be quiet now. I'm going to go off into the quiet night and leave you. And thank you so much for the opportunity to come in. And to everybody listening at Eccentric, you know, you rock. You really do. And I hope we get an, an opportunity to work together again in the future. Nice. Thanks, Mark. Have a great, uh, great evening and we'll definitely be in touch. Thanks, Scott.